You're listening to the Irish Times Roisin Meats podcast. Now, for my next guest, I want to read a quote that was written in this very newspaper about her new album, Pothole in the Sky. And the quote says, At a time when sameness threatens to drain the world of charm and surprise, Lisa O'Neill stands tall for difference as an outlier with a mission to frame the world as she sees it and to perform accordingly. And Lisa O'Neill, I'm very delighted you came in to see us. I think that's a real lovely tribute to what you do because I think everyone uh, who hears your music would say you're a true original um, and very different to anything else and you do your own thing completely would that be fair to say? That's, uh, it's lovely to hear that as as an artist yeah I mean I think it's fair to say that we're all truly original but I've stuck to it in my in my work and I, su- I suppose what that person's getting at is that kind of homogenous kind of music that sometimes well, I suppose in the pop world more and that kind of thing where it, this is a type of thing that people are supposed to do and when you hear your voice it's so different and so unique that you know you're just not trying to be anyone else or fit with anything else? No, I'm not, and I'm I'm comfortable with that. And I mean, I'm definitely influenced, uh, of course, by by so many uh, poets and musicians and other forms of art. But I am happy to to do to do my own way, and it's great that it's recognised that that's a positive thing. Yeah. And you grew up in Cavan. Yes. In Ballyhays, am I pronouncing? Yeah, that's right. right. I'm delighted myself. Um, tell us about your childhood and about music sort of your first encounters with music my first encounter with music would have been the tin whistle at the age of seven and I joined the marching band and <laughs> I, I stayed in it for seven years and I didn't read the music it was all by ear and I was good and uh, I got sick of that at the age of 14 I left and I, I started guitar lessons and well within a week or two of the guitar lessons I started to sing and within a couple of weeks of that I started to write and you have quite a distinctive voice. Had you always was that? Did that voice just come out of you? And did people go, "Geez, so you have a really interesting, different voice"? Or what was the? In those early years, when I was doing guitar lessons and singing some school concerts, or maybe just even singing in friends' bedrooms and stuff, nobody was saying that's a very interesting, unique voice. No, they weren't. <laughs> and I won't mention names, but I was told a couple of times to tone it down a bit. Okay. And, and how did that make you feel at the time? I didn't in ways I didn't care and then in other ways I did want to sound a little bit like everyone else I remember all the girls in school were listening to All Saints and this was the hype and I tried for a couple of months to go along with this and go yeah this is great but I didn't think it was great and who were you listening to? I was listening to whatever dad was listening to he was listening to a lot of Willie Nelson Freddie Mercury Patsy Cline and mum was listening to music in the house as well Karen Carpenter and then just top of the pops I mean it wasn't always just a definite band but a song you know a song might be on and you just love that song Van Morrison would have been on and off the television and the radio as well and Elvis even I knew good stuff it moved me it moved I wanted to hear it again that's what I knew moved me and I was a bit addicted to it I used to get up early in the morning and I'd listen to it if it was a favourite song over and over again there was one or two of John Lennon's and then there was Bohemian Rhapsody and I was embarrassed about that because I thought that's what's and that was, wrong with and that you? was actually so cool when you look back at it now for a 13, yeah. 14 year old in Cavan like to be getting oh, up early to listen to all that younger, stuff younger like really? 7, 8 god so that's great so you, you had good um, musical pedigree from your parents taste then yeah that was handy and the fact that you started learning guitar did they encourage you or was it something that they liked the idea of their daughter playing an instrument and singing and all that kind of thing yeah dad's a musician so they never say no to anything like that and then 
me and my sister uh, joined a theatre a drama class she was 14 I was 16 and that was a big that was really a big change for us mm. um, because that's you know there's the performance side of uh, to it as well as the music music lessons and mum and dad supported that too and we were coming home happy and it really opened up our minds and so yeah that that's part of it too that I never really talk about is the, the theatre that we joined you know and the stage and what did you do what kind of um, plays and things that you do as part of that group I remember doing ter- is it Terry Pratchett Mort oh, yeah I didn't stick with it too long but it was it was in it was just before leaving Cavan and going to college and it, and it, it just it, it introduced it introduced me to to some people that weren't necessarily in my school or in my village but in Cavan who were interested in the stage and and uh, music opened up again for me and so songwriting became a thing that that could possibly be real rather than my diary. Mm. And actually, an interview I read with you, you mentioned your diary and you mentioned being a bit of a teenager that didn't quite feel as if you fit in like many of us don't when we're teenagers. It's not very, uh, a lot of us feel like that. But what do you remember of those times in terms of uh, feeling like you maybe didn't fit in from with other people? I don't think I would have noticed then that I didn't fit in. I just felt uncomfortable. But to look back, I, I didn't fit in because my mind was wandering to these exciting, wonderful places. And it was only in conversations with the odd person that I was very close to, maybe maybe a sibling or a, or a cousin or a best friend, that I could venture to these these places where we were writing stories, you know, and putting on voices and making up characters. And I just, everything else was a bit dull. And the games and the this, the social ways were... I had to be careful what I say, not to hurt any feelings, you know, but it was just dull and I thought there must be more. <laughs> so you got out? <laughs> I got out. I wouldn't say I got out of Calvin, I wouldn't say I got out of school, just more I got the journey in, in my imagination a little bit. And School, secondary school, it just, it, it's not for everyone, you know. It it certainly isn't here, here. I agree with you there. <laughs> no, no, I agree and with that. leaving Cert Lark was just, was... <laughs> was tough work for me and well what are you going to do after and you know if I knew that live was an option I would have that would have been my answer but uh, and the leave insert I suppose allowed you to get into college then I mean you studied music is that right yeah I got into Ballyfermot um, to to the rock school and yeah the 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 leave insert I did allowed me to get in there and you need a pass really and it was an audition that got me in Thank the heavens. So did you go and do, had you been writing songs by this stage? You say you're 18, have you have you already started? Mm-hmm. Like you say, instead of your diary, so you'd been writing your diary and then you started doing your songwriting as a diary. Yeah. And what was on your mind? What was in your songs at that stage? They still weren't, I still wasn't tapping into the truth. So I was. I had a knack for rhyming, I was good <laughs> at rhyming. Uh, oh, the songs are real silly, like I wouldn't <laughs> play them today. But... One of them was a hit in, in fifth year in school, you know, and I played at the end of the year concert, and and it was got what got me into Ballyfermot as well. So I'd, I'd never played it. What was it? What did it, it was, was called, called Time. Okay. And it went uh, like this. I won't sing it. I'll, I'll I'll read it to you. Time moves on. Some of us are right. <laughs> some of us are wrong. Growing up, changing minds, living life, changing times. That, is, that sounds something like what I had been coming out with. It's good. I like it. It's profound. It's kind of rhymes. It very much rhymes. I think I was influenced by Bob Dylan. There's ridiculous. You're actually going a bit red thinking about it. Yeah, no, that's the jump. Okay. 
<laughs> Listen, you're going to sing a song for us um, from your first, from your latest album, it's your third album. Yeah. Um, and tell us a bit about this one and about the album, because so, it's always, I suppose, nice having a new, uh, something out there to, to share with people. So what's particular about this album and this song in terms of inspiration? Well, this song is... Is 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 history? This is uh, well, no. This is my version of history. This is about a woman called Gormala who was married to Brian Brew, High King of Ireland, a long, long time ago, and um, I found her interesting. So she, Gormala was a tall, pale woman with long red hair and feisty. And uh, there's not great things written about her in history. Like they say, she was trouble. And uh, I just I I wrote the song, thinking, well, I'll I'll give her a second chance here and let her channel through me. And so this is this is a love song, and this is Gormley saying, I love them. Doesn't matter what you say. And if we were, if me and him were, maybe we were given a chance in another world, maybe they'd call us something else. Very good. So this is called Gormley's Grieving. Okay, so this is Gormley's Grieving by Lisa O'Neill of her new album, Pothole in the Sky. Take it away, there, Lisa. Black dress 
beautiful song and that's a beautiful instrument too tell us a bit about the mm-hmm. instrument you're holding there well, this is a baritone ukulele it's quite old I think it's a, at least 80 90 years old you can tell by the smell of it <laughs> don't have to take our word for it but yeah, I'll have a it's a wooden it instrument it's uh, I think it's quite unique and uh, I think he found it in a skip in America but I don't know okay. I think he did all right, this he being Glenn Hansard. He being Glenn Hansard, he gave We me might this. talk about him later because I heard a very interesting story about you and him when I was down at Other Voices and Glenn oh. was doing a gig. But we'll, we'll get to that later. Now, you said you came down to Dublin 18 and you went to rock school. It sounds like every person who's into music stream is to go to something called a rock school. It's kind of cool that it's still there, isn't it? Bally Firm at rock yeah. school. And it's produced a lot of people and helped a lot of people in music and also in backstage and music production and all sorts of sound engineering and things. Um, what was it like there? And how did you, you know, coming from Cavan down to somewhere like that? I presume there was a mad mix of people. Yeah, and, and so exciting to to move. Like, you know, 18 years mm. living in the same place. I'm not down on Calvin at all. That's wonderful. I know, you're very but keen not to be seen to diss it. I like it. It's very nice. Loyalty oh, well, there. that's important. Yeah, like, it's your you place. Know, <laughs> I, I might have been, I, I might have been known that there, I, I might have known that there was, there was other things out there for me, but that's nothing to do with where I was read and who I was read by. It's just, just annoying, you know. Yeah. So, uh, just so exciting to move to Dublin and and to all of a sudden be in a class full of people who who taught music could be more than a hobby for them too, you know. And um, yeah, extremely exciting to to go into these different classes every day. One would be guitar, piano, singing. Yeah, brilliant. Music business, boring. And <laughs> I don't think you can go into a class and learn how to work this music business. I don't think you can learn it full stop. It's ever changing, you know. Yeah. And then were you getting into playing around town as well and pubs and things? Yeah. That? Yeah, some gigs and and college was great and opened up so many doors for me. And I made some friends that I'm still tight with. And one of them, like John, John, ain't St. John, he goes under the name of now. And he's he, he's coming out and tour with me this this month. So we should mention a couple of your gigs as well, and we'll mention them at the end too. But you have a gig coming up in Whelan's on the twentieth of May. Yeah, that's the big one. Yeah, which is great. And also uh, this weekend you'll be all over Cork West and West yeah. Cork in the centre of Cork and Can't everywhere wait. else. And people can go to LisaO'Neill.ie to find out all the details of all those gigs. Um, 
I'm interested to see some of your mentors because I know you've t- you toured with David Gray, who's one of your mentors, but also you've two people that I really admire, Billy Bragg and Kevin Rowland, both of those people I'm just mad about. So I love when I see their two names together. Yeah, me too. Yeah, tell us about um, your kind of relationship or, or love of their music and how maybe they've influenced you. Uh, two very different stories. So I'll be completely honest with them. Billy, I would have been familiar with his music over the last eight years and, and a, a big fan so when I got invited to work with him it was it was yeah. so you know so scary that all, I, I'd almost maybe not go but I, that's <laughs> never going to happen it was I know but I can see what you're saying kind of like oh surreal. I can't do this and um, my first communication with him was over Skype and that's just look it's, it's a conversation but we went to cut a long story short spent a week together in Tasmania writing songs for a, a film a, a documentary drama called Debt or Liberty and Billy wrote I think maybe two or three songs for that and I wrote two for it and and we he played along beside me on a, on a couple of them and, and, and likewise I played some whistle with him but spending the week with him was wonderful he's he's as human as they come you know and um just a lovely man and I really enjoyed the evenings chatting with him and telling him what music that I'd been listening to and when he he introduced me to some music and some of the conversations we had in the music that he introduced me to I think definitely influenced this album that I, I came home and made and in what way what kind of conversations were you having uh, well the music he introduced me to especially was the Watersons People had mentioned them to me before, but I hadn't sat down and listened to the way that Billy would introduce a song to me. So the Watersons, Lal Watterson, Mike Watterson, Norma Watterson were uh, uh, an English family folk singers in the 60s. And I had heard bits of them before, but uh, Billy has a way about talking about things. And I really listened to it. He said, listen to this song, The Fine Horseman. And I, I listened to the Fine Horseman, and I thought this is wild as be Jesus, and I like it. I she's so brave the way she writes, and I think about that. I, I, I visualize my my feelings this way, but I don't. I'm not brave enough to always go that far with them. So I I, I went home and I listened to the album properly. Then it's called Bright Phoebus, and it's an, it's a folk album. It's brave and raw and. It allowed me to believe that I could go down a simpler road with with the the making of my album. In the end, it wasn't all simple, but it was in the designing of the songs and how how you know we won't go too far with them. I don't know. Does that answer your question? Yeah, it does. It does quite a bit. I mean, it sounds like um, I can imagine. I'm just jealous though. Listen to you thinking about spending a week with Billy Bragg in Tasmania. He's great, crack. <laughs> Yeah, no, he's fantastic. I've just seen him so many times and he's such an amazing performer and all his songs are brilliant. But what about Kevin Rowland? Kevin I've only uh, met in the last six weeks. But he's really? great. Yeah. yeah. Uh, just for people who don't know, Kevin Rowland obviously the lead singer of Dexy's Minute Runners, so that's now Dexy's and one of my all-time favourite albums, Don't Stand Me Down, has to be one of the best records ever made. Do you like that album? I like that album, but in truth, I haven't listened to the whole thing. Right. I've been listening to more of the recent stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I was born the week Come On Eileen came out. <laughs> Come on, Lisa. <laughs> He's great. I so met how him, did you meet him? I met him up in the concert hall here in Dublin because we were doing some shows together and, and we got on very well. 
I, I don't think we're not unlike I think and uh, and I'm still getting to know him and I'm very much enjoying his company we were working together in London two weeks ago again and God, lucky you he's he's a great man to be around he's very special um, in so many ways and what a voice he's lived and I enjoy and feel privileged to be around people who've 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 lived longer than me and particularly in always whether it be the 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 man in the corner of the 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 pub in Ballyhays or whether it's Kevin Rowland who had these big hits but particularly musicians for me because they've lived what I am dabbling in and what I'm maybe about to go through I don't know what I'm going through and that helps it really does Mm. He's not a show off, so conversations are uh, real. Very nice. That sounds like a really nice friendship you've struck up there. I think so. Very good. Um, tell us about the next song you're going to sing because it's got a one word title, uh, which is intriguing, and it's just called Nasty. That's it. It, it is what it says in the Really, thing. that's it. There's nothing else to say about this. Uh, <laughs> Who inspired it? <laughs> what nasty person? Segments of different people inspired this song. I don't think anyone deserves to be completely the nasty man. Or maybe they do. Um, I mean, when I was writing this song, I I wasn't picturing a real character. I was picturing a cowboy. Okay. (laughs) Or... Uh, like the film Kill Bill is Bill the bad guy in Kill Bill I actually haven't seen it that's a bad admission of mine but so but that kind of thing or a soprano maybe right okay uh, a bad guy Al Pacino but yeah, yeah. Uh, not as good looking okay <laughs> right but based on a few real bad guys yeah as well. it's a primal thing this is this is the, 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 the woman is intelligent and she knows this is, this, is, this is not good enough for me but there's something that keeps bringing me back uh, something we've started and I can't rid myself of it. Yeah, um, I think a lot of people relate to that. <laughs> yeah, I, I relate to it. It, it, it. There is personal feeling in here. Okay, are we in tune? So this is Nasty from Pothole in the Sky. Yeah. Cool, go for it.
He brings home friends. He brings home bacon. Where the bacon is coming from should have my heart aching. Oh, have my heart asking. Have I got me in We've all known one of them, really, haven't we? Yeah, or two. <laughs> two or three. Um, no, it's really good. I'm just looking at this quote um, again, I think, from the Irish Times. And it was to- it's talking about your kind of confidence in what you do. And you said, um, when I was speaking about my previous album, I would have felt that maybe some people were wondering if I was going to admit to winging it and that what I had was just notions. But now that you feel sure about what you do, when did that confidence or that kind of surety come in for you, do you think? A bit more. Do you remember saying that even? <laughs> but I do remember saying that, and I, and I probably, what I meant there was, I was probably wondering, am I winging it? When I put that out to the world, people probably think this, and probably that that's me. That's me thinking that, you know. Paranoia. When did I putting out that last album, same cloud or not, really helped and when I considered or when I when I knew I was going to make another one I, I was stronger and I toured a lot and just experience and I, I, I just feel I, I'm, I'm probably in a better place I, yeah I was I think for years I, th- I thought I was winging it and didn't believe and now I believe no I'm not the best instrumentalist in the world and I'm not uh, but I'm a good singer and I, I'm a good songwriter and I mean what I say, so, and I'm putting it all into it. So, so all of those things help. Recognizing those things help. Yeah. And I have a, a vision of what I, where I wanted to go with it and how I wanted it to sound, and not how I wanted it to be received, but how it could possibly be received. And yeah, where I want to go with it. So all those things, they're important things. I, which are part of a vision that just gives you the strength to to make it happen and it's not like throwing a load of shit at the wall and seeing what happens it's it's much more than that it's the opposite to that completely well thought out and it has to come from a real place which obviously your stuff does you know you know what you're doing kind of thing yeah it's not accidental in other ways it is I suppose just because art is like that but 
No, it's not accidental and all the recordings before this album weren't accidental either, but maybe I I would have known deep down. I'm not saying it. I'm not saying what I'm what's the phrase to 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 talk around it. I'm talking around it and even though I love those other songs. It's hard enough to talk about them because I'm not really saying what I really feel. What I really feel. That takes a long time and I think I'm there now. And I hope I'm not done. I'm sure you're not sure. How old are you? 33. Yeah, you're only a yawn. <laughs> <laughs> Were you hard on yourself, do you think, in the past? In terms of your music, in terms of your, your work? Um, probably. Probably. But it, it, in truth, I would have been harder on myself in life. I, I, I've never been too hard on the music. Just never, never took it that serious. And and there's there's a wiseness to that too. I never want to take it too serious or myself too serious. But I would have been hard on myself. Maybe any time it was going well, like I'd I'd get a bit lazy and. But maybe all that adds to to creativity. Mm. You say that you don't have a telly, and if you had a telly, you'd probably just be watching all the time. So do you I have would. to kind of discipline yourself with things? Yeah, <laughs> I do. But I'm finding the there's nice ways of disciplining myself, like exercise, and it's hard to have a routine when when I'm when my job is to because I'm not touring year round and I'm not in the studio year round. They're the they're the big things that you would imagine is what we do, but it's not year round and and songwriting. But you can't plan when it comes, so my days do need to be free, and sometimes I think maybe I should go back and get a part time job. Do you? Yeah, I do. What do you think you could actually hack doing, though, after, you know, if you had to do that, what would you... I could work in a coffee shop again, definitely. I find it very social and it it gives to creativity. I don't know who I'm going to meet any day. And, uh, people are the, the people are where the stories come from and huge inspiration. But when there's an exchange of money, and that, that would be half the reason why I would go back to work is because I could do with the, the few quid. Not every month, but some months are really tough, and I could do it with a few quid, and I could do it with just a bit of a routine to the day. But the social end of it, I, de- I definitely miss. And that was my last job was Beauties on Grafton Street, and was I was it? there yeah. for five years. God. And it's gone now, but that was good to me in so, in so many ways, and it yeah. served it served its purpose. So that's probably what I do. But if I was to seriously think, if for whatever reason I couldn't play music, if I lost my hands or my voice, well, I'd write anyway. I'd write poetry and maybe short, short stories and songs for other people but if I had to go and think of a whole new line of work it would probably be something in psychology I'd say oh right okay or maybe anthropology very good um, you just came back from Dingle where you were playing Failing the Bialtana in this lovely St James's Church um, yes. which I mentioned earlier and um, the last time I heard something about you was in James's Church when Glenn Hansard was up and he told the story about a night he spent with you Lisa oh don't mind him well he did and it was kind of graphic in some ways and uh, it was a great story but I just thought um, I'd love to hear your side of the story you, had, you were at a party I think and you ended up spending going down the country and there's some ruins of some building that you were lying beside or some graphic wall. or light that's what I say <laughs> We weren't at a party. Okay, maybe I made them fit up. But no, you were no, out. He's, I've heard him say oh, right. that. <laughs> we're at a party. He said we went to see Damien Rice. I've yeah, never that seen Damien Rice in my life. Oh, that's funny. And he said we bought, we robbed a bottle of wine off Damien Rice. That's it, Rice. yeah. We didn't, Glenn. But maybe Glenn was drunk and he doesn't remember. Okay. 
So what's your memory of it? Because he you asked me out on a date. Yeah. Can we go on a date? Yes, yeah. I said. Uh, I'd pick you up on the bike, so he picked me up on the bike, and we had a great date. And I, I, I had to say to myself, now this is a date. It might be Glenn Hansard from from the film once, and this is not <laughs> twice, but just go on the date. And he's a lovely man. And we went on the date, and we went on on the on his on his motorbike, and I'd never been on a motorbike before. That was very very exciting. Down the back roads, we went down to the strawberry beds. Down along the Liffey uh, to see a band, and and then we went to to a field to see John McCormick's old house, and and we was looking at the stars, and uh, we were having dreamy conversations, and I won't tell you everything, but to, to cut a long happened. story short, we didn't kiss. You didn't. And I he, thought you did more than he that. He dropped me home like a gentleman. <laughs> really. And and he said we'll go on another date, and I said okay, but before he got to ask me on the second date. I turned on the radio a couple of mornings later and he was on talking to Miriam O'Callaghan and she says, are you in a relationship? And then Glenn says, I am. And I thought, this is a bit early to say that we're in a relationship. But. And, and he, she said, is she Irish? And he said, no, she's Czech. Sorry, I shouldn't laugh. That's terrible. Well, I nearly dropped. <laughs> what did you do? Did you text him? I said, Glenn answered you. You're a messer. And he said, I'm very sorry. I, I should have told you I was enjoying your company so much. And But look at That's the worst he did. And he gave me this ukulele and said, write a song. And I says, I will write a song. <laughs> and I think we're going to hear I'll that song, song as song. you're la- I, I hope I hope Glenn Hansard is listening. <laughs> he's, he's, he's a good friend now. That's great. No, he's been very good to me. He's been through a lot he was together. Honest. He was honest the next day. He was honest when he got caught. So <laughs> he was honest. He's very good of him. That's kind of uh, very funny. So this song is called "You're Wearing One." It's a red Gansey. It's called, <clears throat> and it's about that fateful night it's and that date. Is it? It's about that horrid night. <laughs> it sounds like a great night, to be honest with you. <laughs> this starts beautifully, and um, Glenn liked the red Gansey. It was an old Aaron jumper, and he said, "Oh, you might as well put the red Gansey on because we're going on the bike and it'll be cold." And I felt like. The red Gansey des- didn't deserve to go out on that day. It deserves to be on a different date. <laughs> so okay, so we're going to hear it now. Okay, um, but just put in here, I, Glenn. I love you very much, and it's the song. It's the song that's remembered, it, not the feeling. It's just the song. It's not the feeling. She she definitely has a twinkle in her eye when she speaks to you, and there's a lot of love there. But the song maybe doesn't give that impression. Lisa, I just want to say thank you before you sing it for for you for coming in to, to see us I absolutely love your voice I love what you do and um, just to say again the gigs that you have coming up you've got Whelan's on the 20th of May and that's going to be a great night and then all this weekend in Cork you're playing in all various uh, places name some of the gigs in Cork oh uh, Cockland's in Cork on Friday and Saturday night and Connolly's in Lep on Sunday and then all of June as well we're about the country so it's all on the website it's all on the website lisaoneal.ie that's it and here we are this lovely song that's not exactly about Glenn Hansard but about sort of the occasion of that night and the red gansey and everything like that it's about lads take us serious yeah or take don't us take serious. us at all oh that's a line that's a good one Lisa O'Neill thank, thank you, you so much for coming in <laughs>
Shadow where it's beautiful to grow. 